Welcome to Fifth Wall's Fly on the Wall podcast, where we explore the shifts occurring in real estate, technology, and society that are driving our cities towards a more equitable, green, and tech-enabled future. I'm your host, Brendan Wallace. In today's episode, I catch up with Mauricio Umansky, founder and CEO of luxury residential brokerage firm, The Agency, to discuss technology's collision with the residential real estate sector. Mauricio shares his experience building a technology-driven firm and explains how brokers can leverage technology to empower home buyers and sellers. Enjoy the conversation. Well, Mauricio, thank you so much for joining. Where are you Zooming in from today? So right now I am uh, back in uh, my home in Los Angeles, California, and my, uh, my, uh, what I've converted to be my office, which used to be my library. And uh, I love it. It's my new uh, place of work. I know. We were just talking about how I feel like the, the office has become like merged with like a movie studio now. So we're all worrying about lighting and audio. And it's, <laughs> it's so interesting. Um, I know. Anyway, I'm, I'm really curious just to start like with your background and how you founded the agency and, and kind of how your experience led to that and what that core insight was. Can you just walk people through that? Yeah, Brendan, it was um, it was kind of an extraordinary story because uh, you know I started off uh, just selling. I used to be in the in the clothing business before I ever got into real estate, and I'm going back a long time now. I'm going back 20, 25 years plus or minus. Um, you start forgetting after a lot of years, right? <laughs> but uh, basically, let's just go right into the real estate world. I got into sales. I was that's always what I liked. That was I, I liked sales. I liked architecture. I liked interior design. Uh, the art of the deal. That was my, that is my passion. And, uh, you know, cutting a long story short through, through many years of, uh, of, of selling real estate, I always said to myself, my promise to myself in selling was to always have a better year than next year than the previous year. That was my goal, right? I think that should be the goal I, in every industry, you know? In every industry, right? And, uh, and I fulfilled it. it. It became my goal back in, uh, the first recession, I guess, what was it, 2007, 2008? Uh, well, the first recession, you know, we have the Great Depression of 1933 of my life, <laughs> 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 of my real estate life. Um, the uh, things changed, and there was a very, uh, you know, there was uh, my grandfather always taught me, and we're all taught Warren Buffett says the same thing, you know, buy low, sell high. When everybody's selling, you buy. When everybody's buying, you sell, right? It's a uh, the contrarian uh, uh, ideal. And what happened was that uh, when that recession hit, I, I was trying to figure out what it is that I wanted it to do. And I did not have enough cash. I did not have enough money to go buy multifamily apartments and condos and houses and all kinds of different things, which is what I wanted to do. Um, and, but I didn't have that. I didn't have the ability to borrow. I didn't have the money. And so I thought to myself, well, what can I do that differentiates me from everybody else? And at that time, print ads, you know, technology didn't, wasn't where we were today. Um, print ads were still very important. The newspaper was still very important. And the, everybody in the real estate industry stopped advertising, stopped pushing forward. They all pulled back. They said, let me, you know, hold on to my, my cash and, and, and not move forward. And I took the opposite approach. And I basically, in essence, bought out the LA Times. 
right? So when you opened up the LA Times, there was 26 pages. Uh, I controlled 15 of them. Wow. Right? So the perception became, oh, Mauricio's the only guy doing business, right? Uh, everybody else is not doing business. Mauricio's doing business, right? So I grew that year from an ordinary agent, let's just call me 250 in the country or the, or the state or whatever. And I became that year the number one agent in California and the number seven agent in, in the U.S. And was that, and, like, was that like overnight, kind of? It, pretty much. I mean, wow. it was a year, right? A year, yeah. it was 15 months, 14 months. But, you know, in hindsight, 15 months is overnight. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, so that was kind of that big push that changed my life, you know, in terms of who I was in the industry and where I stood, et cetera, et cetera. But, and, and the techniques that I used and, and the follow-up and all of that stuff, I was kind of, you know, one of the, um, the first people to start using CRMs, right? <laughs> the CRM didn't really exist. It was my own CRM. <laughs> it's, it's funny because we always say like, you know, so much of real estate, right, exists in like the technological dark ages. And then we're largely talking about commercial. When you start to look at residential, it's like, it's like prehistoric. It's like Iron Age, you know? <laughs> so... I still have books. I don't have them in this office. I wish I did, but I still have MLS books. And that's how we used to search for property. <laughs> and it was literally not that long ago. I mean, the fact that, you know, we were all on the worldwide web for many, many years. Every industry was on the uh, internet and, you know, real estate, we were still searching for properties on, on books, right? Which was just ridiculous. Um, but yeah, Brendan, that's the day that I decided that and I looked at it and I said, my God, I'm number seven in the country. Like I only have six more spots to go to become number one. And you know, that was uh, obviously exciting and a, in a, in a, in a push, but the reality was, well, what's the next step, right? You know, what can I do different? What can I, you know, and I realized that a lot of what I was doing was teachable, was repeatable. Um, what we can package it, Right. And we can essence, you know, what I call, you know, people call it business in the box. I call it business in the cloud. Right. And that was the nemesis and the birth of the agency. Right. Which was to create a company that lived differently, that um, that was a, uh, a collaborative company that was not agents competing against each other. You know, when uh, when P agents always call each other competitors, I call every agent the colleague right? A collaborator. I need every agent to sell my inventory. I need to call them to find off-market listings to find out what inventory they have in their pockets so that I can do, you know, so that I can service my clients the best. So that collaboration was the beginning of the nemesis of, of, of what the agency is, right? And to stop calling everybody competitors, but to really be, you know, colleagues and to be collaborative and to, and to, and to love each other's success and to celebrate each other's success. And that's kind of the culture of what the agency has now become. And when you think about that, like that, that collaborative, like integrative culture and almost like how antithetical it is to, you know, what people think of is like traditional brokerage, which is, you know, kind of a mercenary culture, right? You go from brokerage to brokerage, you're competing with the different agencies. I guess when you thought about building that, how much was technology an enabler? of that culture. Meaning like it's one thing to have that culture and it's another to have the actual instrumentation of how people collaborate. How did you think about building that? 
So it's such a great question. And I know that that's what you're, you know, concentrate on so much. And you guys have done an extraordinary job in, in, in your business in finding, you know, prop tech and all of that stuff. You know, one of the beauties of starting a new company is that you don't carry baggage, right? You don't have a Titanic uh, right. ship that you're trying to figure out how to move it, right? Um, you can start and you can start in any direction you want. So one of the things that we did when we started the company is we decided 10 years ago that we were going to be a technology company, um, that we were going to be all driven by technology. And if you were not uh, going to accept the technology, and, and, and look, from our perspective, the technology starts with a CRM. It develops into a gazillion other things. And, 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 and now what we do is we use the different technologies that are out there. Some are great. We buy them. We incorporate them into our own technology and some we built. We have our own software developers. We have our own stuff. We have all of that stuff. So we started buying out of the box um, CRMs, out of the box uh, accounting, uh, out of the box. And we realized that none of them worked well. So and none of them were probably germane for residential brokerage. Like to me, that's what's so interesting is that there's so, there's this suite of enterprise software that's been developed for like every other industry. And this is back, you know, in 2016, when we started fifth wall, you yeah. look around at the stuff that's built for real estate and it was janky and analog and just like poorly designed. It was so interesting why this massive industry, the largest industry in the U S had almost sat on the sidelines of the technological <laughs> progress that had collided with every other industry. It's so true, and it's uh, it's almost mind-boggling. You'll love this: is that uh, my uh, my CTO, which not a lot of people, not a lot of people in 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 uh, real estate had CTOs, right? No. <laughs> uh, my CTO and I, my, I had a frustration. I was just I was so frustrated. I'm like, why can't we get this thing, you know, to work and to operate? And so my CTO one day comes into my office with a clever plan and he says come into the uh into the um conference room our office was tiny i mean our conference room was tiny we had plastic chairs we had you know what i mean it was uh it wasn't beautiful like not not today. what not what i think of as the agency today <laughs> which is like this luxurious like beautiful aesthetic <laughs> far from it far from it uh, we we used to have our office sales meetings and we were 30 agents and we would you know we couldn't even fit in the conference room. We'd be outside in the, uh, in the hallways, you know, like trying to listen in. Right. Um, but uh, our, our entire conference room, we painted it with that, you know, whiteboard paint, you know, mm -hmm. that you can draw on. And so uh, he calls me into the conference room and the whole conference room is painted with his idea of a CRM system, right? And here's how it's going to go and it's going to work. And he said, and I go, this is amazing, but how long is it going to take you to do this? And how much money is it going to cost me? I didn't have any money. I mean, we started the agency with, with our money. We didn't take debt. We didn't take investors. We didn't, you know, it's a straight, it's a straight up, uh, you know, we did it. Old fashioned. So he, old fashioned. So he says, it's going to, you know, I'll have it ready within uh, eight months and it's going to cost us 250 grand. Wow. I'm like, done, let's go. Well, we're 10 years later. It's still not ready. 
<laughs> we're probably three and a half million dollars deep into the fucking technology. Right. Um, it will never be ready, right? Because it's always evolving and always changing and always getting better and all of that type of thing. But uh, I do believe that today we have, um, and I know that you know our competitor Compass is a is a technology firm, but I do believe we have the best technology out there. We've never right. bought another company that comes with baggage and comes with all you know people that are not on the system and then how do you put them on the system so anybody and everybody that works at the agency ha had to accept to operate on the crm system because it's like otherwise your culture you was like digitally native from its inception you can't work there. I right. mean, you can't order an ad, you can't get paid, you can't put the property on the market. Like right. there is no other way to work at the agency than right. to accept the digital nature. I'm curious, like, how do you think about, you know, technology can enable so many aspects of the residential real estate market. And I kind of think about it as like, there's on the internal side, on the brokerage side, there's collaboration tools and ways that agents leverage data and information and analytics and calculations and communications with their, their customers, like through a CRM. But then there's another side of it, which is the kind of customer delight side of it. Like in the end, you have customers. Everyone has customers. And you know the experience of buying a home has, at least historically, been one of the most arduous, painful, anachronistic processes, which is like just devoid of technology. So how did you think about that side of the equation? Like meaning like we're meeting new customers all the time. We want them to have a delightful experience with the agency, work with us in buying their home, selling their home, buying their next home. How did you think about that side of it? How do you measure that? So I think that's something we're still thinking about. And I think that that's probably one of the areas in in the buying and selling experience that still has you know a lot of opportunities in uh, for improvement today um and and you've nailed something that you know obviously you and i talk about a lot and uh but um that experience is very interesting because there's multiple different types of properties right there's the planned urban development where every property is relatively similar and they're all brand new and they come with warranties and et cetera, et cetera. And that process can probably be changed and very, you know, become taken to a very automated process. Right. But then there's the, you know, the luxury world or the Los Angeles world where, or, or, you know, in Los Angeles being an example of a lot of cities where you have homes that were built in the twenties and the thirties and the fifties and the seventies, and they need to be inspected and they need to be remodeled and they need to have, you know, so you can't, so the automation of that is, is, you know, a little bit more complicated, right? Because it requires creativity. It requires an interior designer. It requires right. love. It requires touch architecture. And it requires <laughs> like human intuition, you know, like well, I'm sure we'll talk about iBuyers, but you're right. They work super well in these kind of standardized, homogenous track homes where it's, yeah, you roughly know the same, you know, if you're buying 102, you know, Maple Drive and 103 Maple Drive is the same home built exactly the same way and the same vintage, it's roughly the same. But in LA, I mean, you can have a house that was designed by a world famous architect right next to a, a teardown, right? And yeah. that's, I, I guess one question is, do you think we'll ever get to the point where technology will be able to like, truly inform either a buyer or an agent around the kind of eclectic real estate mix that like LA has? 
I've thought about a lot, a lot about that, and and I don't see that happening in my lifetime. I, I I think maybe one day it'll happen, but by the same token, there's a fear of that actually happening, because um, you know computer vision and all of these other amazing things that are occurring, um, you know artificial intelligence, all of these amazing things that are occurring. But again, um, one of the beautiful things about residential real estate. Yeah, which I find to be the most beautiful part is that that's where you live, right? Right. That's our life. It's our lifestyle. You yeah. cannot, you cannot replace life with a robot with a computer, right? Yeah, so to in, me, there's an emotional charge. There's an intimacy to the decision that like no other transaction has. Correct. And the day we get to that, I I, I fear that day. I, I actually hope we don't. Get I feel day, like okay. whatever that day comes, it'll be the singularity and we'll all be like working for the robots at that point. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. I, yeah, I'm a huge fan of technology, as you can tell, but I do fear philosophically speaking in terms of life. I definitely fear that day. Um, and again, we're talking about residential real estate. I mean, do I like to play pickleball? Do I want a virtual golf right. uh, simulator in my backyard? You know, do uh you know, do I like to face east or do I like to face west? Do I like the sun in the morning? Do I like the sun in the afternoon? I mean, do I, you know, uh, um, a gazillion things that come, you know, I, I can tell you that one of the things that we do to change that change the way that you sell real estate is that we started, you know, kind of doing psychographic analysis, you know, to decide how and where we're going to sell real estate, how we're going to market real estate, how we're going to actually push digital real estate to me, that's where the technology is super interesting, right? Can, can we understand the behavior of a human, understand what they like from real estate, analyze it through, through excuse me, from technology, analyze what they like, right? Through their LinkedIn, what kind of clubs are they at? What kind of, uh, you know, uh, uh, um, boards do they serve on? What type of philanthropy like do they do? like a priori consumer data about their behaviors outside of the real estate market, you then synthesize to inform, here's what we intuitively think they will like in real yep. estate, aesthetically, and, whatever. Yes. And then push the marketing and the advertising into their computer. Right. That is directly related to that human being. Right. Right. That's so so to me, that's where, that to me is where it's all going. And that's what I'm exploring from an agency perspective is how do we you know push that so that we can actually get into your computer vendor when you're you know reading cnn um and push to you exactly what you know you're thinking you're going to want based on the behavior that you have and based on the behavior that you have on google right are you a modern guy are you a modern farmhouse guy are you looking to move you know to the mountains are you looking to move to the ocean what is it that you're looking to do just based on your behavior and then i can start pushing to you what you're looking for through technology, make your life a lot easier. And now I can increase my sales, become a lot more efficient, become a lot more effective, show you virtual uh, reality uh, uh, simulations of your, the property that you're about to buy. Buying a home has historically been an incredibly painful process. It's a scary process for so many consumers because it's like, yeah. oh, I have to buy home insurance and get a mortgage and get title insurance and get everything notarized and a home warranty and I, my broker's got to get paid. There's, there's just, it's like these, all these ancillary transactions that happen around the main thing you want to do, which is I want that home. Yeah. So 
How do you think technology can improve that customer experience and kind of streamline it? And how does the agency think about like integrating those tools into the buying process? Yeah, I think it's already happening uh, and we've seen it. You know, I think that the DocuSign is uh, one of the greatest tools that has happened in terms of automating and making that experience a lot easier where we can, as agents, can kind of package the entire file, if you will, right. um, that, uh, that, that kind of puts it all together. Uh, the usage of technology from the perspective of, you know, your agent is still a very important person, right? Because the, if you have a great agent, they can help you through using technology in the loan application, in the title, uh, you know, going through title, going through all of that. So I think it's really about uh, brokerage firms packaging the entire process and using technology to make it as easy as possible for the consumer. By the same token, we have to educate the consumer and we have to educate the agents because one of the things that I can tell you that I'm seeing on the negative side of that, right. okay, is that agents, new agents, are uh, because of zip forms, right? The contract situation. They're, they're no longer understanding and reading the contract and they no longer understand what the contract really says. They really are just now starting to fill in the blanks. Consumers are starting to do the same things where you're just filling in the blank. You know, when, uh, when you buy uh, an app, right, on, on, on your book, on your uh, phone, and you have to sign, and there's this, you know, you're scrolling through the contract, right, to get to I accept the terms. Nobody right. knows what terms they just accepted, right? They right. just accepted the terms and turned on the app, yeah. right? So the danger of what's happening with real estate is that, Literally, consumers and agents are starting to just accept the terms, right? And and that can be a little bit dangerous because a consumer needs to understand what it is that they're buying. They cannot, you know, from a real estate agent's perspective, I believe we still have the ethical responsibility to make sure that we slow the process down and make sure that the buyer understand what it is that they're buying, right? In a really informed, you know, clear-eyed way. They know what, yes. what the contracts they're entering actually stipulate. Yes. So I think that's our job. I think the job that you're talking about, which is the iBuyer, you know, or, or leading, going towards there, uh, automating the whole process, I think we're kind of there. Mm -hmm. But I think the job of the real estate agent from an ethical perspective is to continue to train the consumer just to make sure to slow down and understand what they're buying. I mean, because yeah. the homes have a lot of issues. Like you don't know if you're buying a house that the water heater is about to break and you don't have the money to fix that water heater. It might work today, but it may not work three months from now. Right. And if you do the right inspection and your, inspe and your agent tells you, hey, it's about to break and you know, maybe, maybe let's ask the seller for a credit so that we can have it replaced the last thing you want to do is not be able to afford that $2,000 water heater, um, you know, two months later and you're scratching your head saying, why didn't my real estate agent tell me that, um, that my water heater is not going to work. <laughs> and there, and there's this like middle ground, right? Where on the one hand technology is so empowering because it, it, it offers speed and offers transparency. But I agree with you it, in, in some ways it overshadows the, the, the human overlay that you need to put on top of this really important transaction. And the way I kind of have thought about it is that I think there's naturally going to be this bifurcation of, you know, for a lot of track homes that are standardized, that have standardized equipment, that have standardized materials, that have standardized values. Of course, you can largely leverage algorithms to predict value and, 
you know, insurance costs. But for homes in Los Angeles, for the high end, there's, there's a criticality to like what you think of a real estate agent is truly doing, which is like understanding their customer, building a high trust, dynamic, you know, intimate relationship with their customer to truly understand them. And I think that you're almost seeing technology separate, right, into these two spheres of kind of like high volume and high intimacy. Um, and it's just interesting because I don't think we've found that, um, that perfect tension in where technology is too much or too little. No, and I can tell you that uh, consumers that are using um, technology to buy luxury real estate homes, they're getting screwed. Um, they're coming to, you know, people like, uh, you know, me or other agents and they're agents who are, you know, discount brokers because they're using technology really to buy the process and they're just pushing paper, right? Just mm -hmm. literally pushing this paperwork around. Um, they're paying more for their homes than they should. Okay. They are not getting the credits that they should be getting after inspections, um, that their real estate agent should be asking for the real estate agent is literally just pushing paper and just making sure the deal gets done rather than really taking care of their, their client, yeah, their customer. And that's the piece of art that I believe. And, I, and that's why I believe that the real estate agent will continue to exist for a long time because eventually some of these stories are going to start getting out. You know, when, when a lawsuit occurs, when they, uh, uh, a consumer gets upset and they put it on Yelp. I do believe that the, um, we, the, the real estate agents need to use technology to improve and to make the process better. But as agents, our job is going to become different. It's not going to be about pushing paperwork. It's going to be about protecting our client and showing an expertise to make sure the client is protected through the process, right. not just checking the box. It's like, you know, the, the, the old axiom, right? Technology is a fantastic servant, but a terrible master. And I feel like right. for a lot of agents, they have become kind of enslaved to, you know, using their own technology, right? And, and they're almost robotic in how they, they act. And I think the impression, obviously, of the agency's agents is just like, there's, a, there's an old school mentality that's paired with best in breed technology. And it's actually that that combination that, that's what delivers value. Um, I'm curious, I know you have such an interesting view on the MLS and, and, and pocket listings. Um, can you talk about just your experience and, and what you've done there as well? Oh man, Brendan, that's, yeah, you know, uh, it's not so much that I have such an interesting view, it's just that, you know, in, in high-end real estate, pocket listings are an important part of life, okay? Um, and the reason I say high-end real estate is it really should be across the board. But, you know, in high-end real estate, pocket listings are an important part of life. If I have a, um, uh, examples, uh, a CEO of, you know, and again, this is a fictitious example, okay? <laughs> uh, the CEO of McDonald's uh, has taken a job as the CEO of Burger King, but yet has not yet uh, let... Uh, uh, the world know that he is resigning from, you know, his job as the CEO of McDonald's and he's moving to Burger King. Um, and he needs to sell his house to move from Chicago to Nashville, right? Um, they, they may want to start putting the house on the market on an off-market listing, but they may not want to have that property on the market on the MLS to where everybody starts wondering why is it that this man is selling his house 
right. uh, and is starting to look in Nashville. They want that privacy, right? Uh, a celebrity uh, that is hounded by, you know, fans does not necessarily want, you know, people to know where their address is, right? Uh, from, from a security perspective, right? They don't want, uh, you know, uh, they, they, they are more open to having stalkers, more open to having, you know, security issues. Um, and so therefore they want the ability to do things without the public knowing. Meaning right? like the MLS is almost like a, inherently an invasion of privacy, right? It is a billboard is, for a house. It is an in, 100% an invasion of privacy, right? right? Uh, and particularly when you become a public figure. And today, because of technology, a public figure, uh, you know, you can find out the address of a public figure through the MLS in 18 seconds and 22 seconds later, it's on TMZ and 36 seconds later, it's everywhere else in the world, right? Um, and so there's a lot of reasons why people still want to operate in a world that is not uh, out there. The uh, National Association of Realtors has decided and passed a law that uh, called the clear cooperation uh, law uh, policy that, um, that that's not allowed. So they've decided that that's not allowed. We, we had originally founded a company called the Pocket Listing Service, which was the PLS.com, uh, that was basically a, uh, a database of, uh, of properties that were off-market properties that uh, that uh, companies that the people agents every real estate agent in the world had access to if you had a real estate license you had access to it okay and it was strictly for agents to be able to find off-market properties these type of properties so that they can sell them and show them to their clients uh and again we we did not push those properties to um zillow, uh, zillow for argument's sakes right they were just kept private. There was no history kept on them. If you wanted to test the market and you wanted to test the market at $5 million and you found out that that was too much um, and, uh, and then you went on to the MLS at $4 million. It sounds like there's almost two, two layers to it. One is that there's this, that, that the decision to sell a home isn't as binary as any listing service would, would kind of purport in how it operates. Meaning, me as a, as a homeowner, if I'm selling my home, I could be like, I need to sell the home tomorrow, or I'm interested in selling the home at this price, or I'm not sure if I want to sell it. And if I could get this price, I would. And it's almost like what you're saying is there's a spectrum. And today, the, the existing systems are almost too binary. It's either you're selling or you're not selling. And if you are selling, it's public and everyone knows. And if it's on market for a while and the price has to be adjusted, all that is then in the public domain. And the yeah. second is there's, there's a real investment, right, that, that, that agents need to make in their inventory, in their customers, that takes time and money and relational value to develop. And you're kind of losing that, right? You're losing that intimacy. It's becoming, I almost think, like cheapened, honestly, when a, a prospective home buyer doesn't know that a particular listing agent has really worked with this property, maybe sold that owner their house originally. They've seen the home improvements they've done to it. There's a, there's a connectivity and a relationship to the property that's an investment of time and money and energy and honestly just intelligence around the asset that's lost when you just advertise everything. 
You're 100% correct. And, and taking it a step further, a lot of times, you know, when the, when the client and the consumer, and again, I go back to the consumer because at the end of the day, this is all about the consumer, right? Yeah. It's how do we service the consumer and how do we make sure that consumer gets the best possible service, does the best possible buy, buys intelligently. A lot of time, the people, you know, the, the agent that they're calling, and again, this is where the consumer gets hurt, actually has no idea of the neighborhood. Right. They're a neighborhood specialist right. on it digitally but the reality is they've never sold a house in that neighborhood in their life okay they have no idea of the east side of the street is better than the west side of the street they have no idea of the values are the same they cannot properly consult their client and give them proper consultation which is why the client is picking up the phone to call them right, right. so it's uh th there's no choice and it's because it is definitely cheapening yeah and it just it, it seems <laughs> like we're we're in this like moment in time where there's this tension between like all the technological progress that has occurred around the buying and selling of homes and a traditional model, which I think everyone agrees does need to evolve. And we're kind of exploring these, these tensions of where we've gone too far or where we haven't gone far enough. And to be honest, what's so, what's so interesting from my vantage point is we actually see the exact same thing happening in commercial. Right, so everything we've talked about in some way, shape, or form correlates with a similar dynamic in commercial, around commercial leasing, commercial sales, commercial appraisals, commercial mortgages, and it's just interesting to explore like the similarities there. Um, so, commercial, I do believe, can be more automated and become a lot easier, become a lot better. Right? I think the technology, it's income producing. I mean, you're making an analysis, right? What's yeah. my cap rate? What's my opportunity? How do I reposition the asset? Uh, can I change entitlements? Can I uh, can I split off parcels? Can I add square footage? You right. know, I mean, it's uh, all of the questions we all ask, right? How do I increase value? And that can definitely become much more automated because the emotional value is uh, it, it becomes a business. It's not a uh, it's not your life. It's not where your kids are growing up. It's not where they're swinging on the swing set. It's not where you're uh, you know sleeping with your wife or husband, right? <laughs> I mean, it's like, uh, it's a different world. Well, it's always so interesting just getting your perspective on, I, I, lo I love, by the way, the story of how you built the agency. I didn't, I didn't know the full history. So that was interesting, but also just your perspective on this, because it's such an evolving landscape. And I think you have such a unique vantage point to assess it. Um, so always enjoy these conversations, Mauricio. The same. Thank you so much. I love the conversation. Awesome. Well, good talking to you, Mauricio. Brandon, thank you so much for your time. Thank you for having me as part of your you know, webinar and uh, looking forward to some more, man. Yeah, me too. All right. Good talking to you. <laughs> thank you. Thanks for listening to this episode of Fly on the Wall. All of these episodes and more are available on our YouTube channel. To learn more about Fifth Wall, visit our website at www.fifthwall.com.